Welcome to the Awesomers.com podcast. If you love to learn, and if you're motivated to expand your mind, and heck, if you desire to break through those traditional paradigms and find your own version of success, you are in the right place. Awesomers around the world are on a journey to improve their lives and the lives of those around them. We believe in paying it forward, and we fundamentally try to live up to the great Zig Ziglar quote, where he said, you can have everything in your life you want if you help enough other people get what they want. It doesn't matter where you came from, it only matters where you're going. My name is Steve Simonson, and I hope you will join me on this awesomer journey. If you're launching a new product manufactured in China, you will need professional, high-resolution, Amazon-ready photographs. Because Simo Global has a team of professionals in China, you will oftentimes receive your listings photographs before your product even leaves the country. This streamlined process will save you the time, money, and energy needed to concentrate on marketing and other creative content strategies before your item is in stock and ready for sale. Visit simoglobal.com to learn more, because a picture should be worth 1,000 keywords. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. Everybody, today on the Awesomers Podcast, we're going to talk with Danny McMillan. Here's a little bit about Danny's background. Danny's an international speaker on Amazon marketing and optimization, and he's an active e-commerce seller in the USA and in Europe. Danny has an open collaboration and sharing at his core with a drive to dismantle, optimize, and share his deep learning, analysis, research, and even his train wrecks with peers and the community at large so that you don't have to experience the same pain. He's a survivor of the former music industry and a startup serial entrepreneur, without a doubt. For the last couple years, he's been focused on Amazon FBA. He's appeared on numerous podcasts, including his own, Seller Sessions, which is the number one podcast for advanced Amazon sellers, and he contributes to the industry bible, webretailer.com. Danny's been a guest speaker at all kinds of venues across the world, including the Smart China Sourcing Summit, the European Private Label Summit, the Private Label World Summit, the Great Escape, AMZ Con, and so many more. I am thrilled to have Danny McMillan with me today. Okay, everybody, uh, welcome back to Awesomers. Uh, it's uh, great to be back, and today we have a special guest, Danny McMillan. How are you, Danny? I'm good. Thank you for having me. It's certainly a pleasure to have you, and uh, I couldn't help from the accent to notice that uh, that doesn't sound American. Where are you from, Danny? Uh, I'm based just outside of London, but I'm originally born in London. Okay, fair enough. And so uh, I know you and, uh, and I already know that you're awesomer, but help our audience understand kind of uh, what you do in, in, in kind of day, your day-to-day world. What, what do you uh, spend your time doing mostly? Okay, so my, my life split into various different areas, though. My day starts with Asia, into the UK, into the US. So I run three businesses. One's an Amazon product business where we're in home and kitchen and in topicals. Uh, I've also got an agency with my partner, Ellis, who is one of the algorithm guys behind Jungle Scout. So we've got a PPC agency that does automation. Um, it's managed accounts as well. Uh, we, we can do um, international PPC, like multi-language PPC, and we mainly manage like large accounts. And I've also got a service business as well, which is in the construction in- industry. Uh, I also host seller sessions, which we publish three times a week. And I also do public speaking on all things Amazon. So basically what you're saying is you're only working about half time. Uh, that's a, a pretty light schedule there. No, very impressive. Uh, I, I suppose, uh, so I knowing how many uh, you know pots your hands are uh, stirring at one time or plates you're spinning, uh, whatever metaphor you prefer, uh, do you find that you know you, this is uh, rewarding to you or stressful to you? 
No, I love every minute of it. I enjoy what I do. If it was, um, if I didn't like it, I'd have to get it removed from my life. I've got to the age, I'm 42 now, and, you know, I want to enjoy my life. So anything that's stressful, you know, business is going to be stressful from time to time. But if you're passionate about what you do, that's what gets you up in the mornings. If I hated what I do, like I don't do things for the purity of money. I don't go, oh, I'll go and do that because it's got zeros on the end of it. I do things because they have meaning. And if you make meaning, you'll make money. Boy, that's quite right. Uh, you know, it, uh, it reminds me of the old saying, you know, if, if you want something done, give it to a busy person. And you're certainly uh, producing the, the results there. So uh, before we dive further into kind of what you do, and, and I want to ask some more questions about the, the agency and the size of the clients you take on and so forth. Uh, we're going to take a quick moment for a sponsorship break and uh, pay some bills. But uh, when we come back, just to tease this up, we're going to talk about the Danny's origin story. Where did he come from? And uh, that's going to be very interesting. So stay tuned. Catalyst 88 was developed to help entrepreneurs achieve their short and long-term goals in e-commerce markets by utilizing the power of shared entrepreneurial wisdom. Entrepreneurship is nothing if not lessons to be learned. Learn from others. Learn from us. I guarantee that we will learn from you. Visit Catalyst88.com because your success is our success. A giddy up. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. Okay, we're back, everybody. Uh, Danny, so I know you mentioned that you were from London. Is that where you were actually born? Yes, I was born in uh, Stepney in East London. Yep. All right. So uh, you probably know all the really good Cockney uh, accents and slangs uh, from the, the nearby towns. Yeah, and the pie mash shops and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. those are some yeah. of my favorite, uh, the pie and mash shops. That, that's a great <laughs> uh, visual yeah. right off the bat. So uh, I love that. Now, uh, wh- what did your parents do when you came into this world? What, what kind of uh, vocation did they have? Well, it's, the, it's, a, it's a bit of a strange one. Like, I don't, I'm, I don't see my father. And um, when I was a baby, my, my father left. So it was just me and my mum, really. And so where my mum was a one-parent family, she, you know, I had to, you know, by the time I went to infant school, et cetera, um, I was with, like, childcare, like, minders, and then she would pick me up from work. So she worked in shipping, actually, a company called OCL, going back to late 70s, early 80s time. So she's got – I mean, I didn't think, you know, obviously shipping – over from China now, there'll be some relevance there. But no, she used to do coordination and shipping uh, when I was a wee nipper. Yeah, I think uh, OCL was like Ocean Container Line or something. That's a pretty big company, still exists today as far as I know. Yeah, I'm not aware, but yeah, it's not too far. It's uh, based in, in Raynham, which funny enough is which um, I use a shipping company, which is probably about 15 miles down the road from there. Wow, amazing. Uh, so it, it's, it's uh, interesting to see those parallels. Uh, sometimes they overlap, sometimes they don't. Uh, do you have any siblings, any uh, brothers or sisters? Not that I know of. So oh, I'm, I'm, fair enough. I like <laughs> apparently I'm an only child at this stage. Uh, if anybody out there is uh, a sibling to Danny, please contact us. We'll get you guys in touch. Uh, be a yeah. great future show. Uh, how about, what did you do uh, with schooling? Did you uh, attend university? I didn't. I mean, I struggled at school. I had learning difficulties. Uh, when I was young, I had problems like with hearing and stuff. They didn't discover it for a while. And so I struggled in school. It's like um, when I went to what we called like senior school, I didn't finish school. Uh, I could barely read and write, if I'm honest with you. Uh, but I did have a large accident. So at the age of 15 and three months, you're able to work and get like your national insurance card. 
And I worked on uh, at the British Gas Building. I was doing suspended ceilings and um, partition walls. And half a tonne of plasterboard collapsed on me. So even if I wanted to finish school, which I didn't enjoy school, I couldn't anyway. So um, I'm lucky to to be alive from that. I've got like 80 stitches across my stomach. I had uh, uh, four broken ribs, liver laceration, broken diaphragm. A uh, lot, lot of injuries, but I was under some, at St. Bartholomew's Hospital and they had progressive like, um, doctors there who, who played a big part in saving my life. And that was, that was my wake-up call in them early days to build the life that I wanted to move forward with now. Because as somebody who wasn't very well educated, it, it left me limitations. But then that accident actually was one of the pivotal points that changed my life. Yeah, that's a fascinating story uh, to have, you know, a, you know, a thousand pounds or half a ton of plasterboard uh, land on top of you is is one of those lightning bolts we talk about from time to time, an unexpected and, and unwelcome surprise, but uh, you got to deal with it. And it sounds like you did it. Boy, uh, your resilience is extraordinary to have all of that. Uh, so, so because you were able to, uh, you know, kind of carry on after the accident, obviously you recovered and so forth. Instead of university, did you find yourself working? And if so, what kind of uh, role? Yeah, I mean, when I <laughs> I'll make you laugh, I worked, my first official job was working in a fish slicing factory. I mean, as a, as a kid, I worked in uh, like doing paper rounds and I worked in the butchers and things like, like meat places. I'm not sure what you call butchers in the US. but We still call them butchers. Oh, you yeah. call them butchers as well, yeah. So, um, yeah, so I was doing those kind of jobs and then I did um, some spraying and French polishing. But what I really wanted to do was to get into the music industry. And so uh, after the accident, I thought, right, I don't, I didn't enjoy school, um, but I, I knew I wanted to do something related to music. And back then... Uh, you, Acid House had just kicked in. You'd had, uh, you could make music on computers. So it's just started to change over with synthesizers. So what happened is you could be a record producer and you didn't have to be a very good like musician per se. But, you know, if you could program beats and stuff like that. So I always wanted to get into the music industry. I even wrote to our local mayor and he pretty much laughed and said, why don't you become a carpenter? Because he didn't make any sense. And it's very difficult to get an engineering job at a college or with a esteemed like uh, engineering school uh, back then and it had been very costly so um, but I, I made it into the music industry by working at record labels so I started in PR and promotions and then built up from there um, but so that's, where I got, just to ask the question so when you started out you're like I, I'm gonna get in the music industry and people kept turning you away they're like no no go yeah. be a carpenter kid For, forget that idea uh, yeah. This is a, a common thing that, uh, you know, no matter where your path takes you, uh, normies from the outside world, that these are not awesomers, but normies are like, no, no, just just get into your lane. Go be a carpenter yeah. and, uh, you know, get with the program. Uh, but you don't get a real well, yeah, well, people would say, go, you know, go and get a real job, go and get an education, go and do all that. I mean, where I learned to read and write like a, 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 a more an advanced level to what I was at then you know, like when you have a steely determination. So I was, I wanted to do record reviews so I could get free vinyl so that I didn't have to pay for the vinyl. So when I did DJ gigs, it wasn't as expensive to do so. But then I thought, well, I don't know how to use a computer. 
and I'm not very good at reading and writing. So, but the things like that make you learn, don't they? So it gives you that steely determination. So I, I improved my reading and writing. I wouldn't say it's great today, but I've improved my reading and writing through wanting to do something. Whereas at school, I hated school. So therefore, I didn't want to learn. So I was disinterested. Does that make sense? It totally does. This is, a, a, again, one of those issues of motivation, right? In school, yeah. they're like, hey, do this, do that. And it's uh, often presented in such a way that is undesirable, annoying. And uh, in my son's case, he also dislikes it immensely. And he has yeah. no motivation to do it. Whereas if, if he needs to learn a skill to you know, play his, his favorite video game or to pursue his interest like you did, uh, yeah. he's all for it, right? And that's uh, your motivation was to be in that. Uh, <laughs> I like the clever way you got free albums. That's very, very smart. Yeah, so, and so that was my goal. So the first couple of years I bummed around in, in jobs that I didn't enjoy to try and get that break. And the break come from working at a record label for something like £100 a week. I'd already moved out of home. So very limited on my resources. So renting somewhere back then and food and travel and doing the job on £100 a week was quite tricky to do. And then, you know, you start to, you learn the business and then you move to other labels and you start to grow up from there. Um, and then I fully got into the music industry. And then once I was fully in, I got an opportunity that um, with my accident, I got a payout a few years later. And so what we did was me and my, my now wife is that we put a deposit down on our first home okay. and I pulled some cash aside and I bought studio equipment that I could have at home. So I had like hardware samplers, sequencers, keyboards and stuff like that. So that was that the advantage of that accident gave me a, a cash windfall. And with that, I, tr I felt that I'd done quite well with it because it was I put myself on the property ladder at 19 years old. Wow. And then, I mean, my first house was something like 48,000 pounds. You know, and you know, you'd laugh nowadays. You couldn't get yeah, a shoebox. That's a crazy low amount. So, um, yeah, and so, and then with the rest of the money, I thought, right, okay, so buy the property. I'm still employed working in the, in the record company. And if I use this to buy the studio, I can then make records outside that time to get me on my road to where I wanted to go. Well, I, I just love the, the uh, can-do attitude. You know, uh, it, it's a common thing for awesomers to end up being scrappy, right? And, and you were able to uh, leverage that, uh, the payout from the accident, uh, which was well-deserved, no doubt, and be able to put yourself not just in studio equipment, which is, uh, already has an industrious use to it, but also having the home, a little bit of security. It sounds yeah. to me like your, your mind wanted a little of each, right? A little, little for future adventure and a little bit of security. Is that how you saw it? Yeah, I mean, most people at the age of 19 would have parted that money away, wouldn't they? You right, know, they'd yeah. gone and had like, fun. There's a cool car and a bunch home. of drinking. Exactly. So I, I thought, well, I don't know when the next windfall would come from. It's that scarcity thing. Like when you're young and you, you, know, you, you don't come up with a huge amount of money, a windfall can do two ways for people that come from more like a poorer background. Is that, you know, some people just don't know. You know, like lottery winners. That sure. was my small lottery. But lottery winners are notorious for, you know, spinning their money away because they they don't know what to do. It's almost they're embarrassed with their lot and they almost have to get rid of it. And you see a lot of lottery winners will go, not bankrupt, but they'll be poor again within a few years of winning that money. And, you know, back then, I think because I had a path and I knew I wanted to go and I looked at it and I thought, well, 
we need a home, got a family, and I want a studio, but I didn't know if the music industry thing, like making records, would work. But it was a shot. I could always sell the equipment, you know, with a 40% cheaper price, you know, if it didn't work out. Sure, sure. No, I, I really, uh, I, I love the, the ideas that, you know, awesomers come up with, which is, you know, I'm going to try to make the most of this opportunity. It is really counterintuitive for you at that age to uh, have placed some equity into the equation. And I, I definitely believe that, you know, equity along the way is, is a smart thing, take some money off the table. So uh, really surprising at 19 years old, you're able to figure that out. No so worries. let me ask you this, uh, Danny, as we, as, as you think, you mentioned one of the defining moments, you know, obviously that accident. Um, but you know, now you're, you're outside of the, the music business. How did that yeah. transition come about? Well, the transition for that is that in 2008, I got to see, I had a good, a reasonably good music career. So like there's a Wikipedia entry. And, and so in 1998, just on the music side, I had my major break. So I released like mix albums and I was involved with a, uh, like in the US, you've got like the breakbeat scene. I came to Miami and, and see Miami breaks and come back to the UK. And there was a culture that built around it. It was called New School Breaks. And part of that, I ended up being on a show on Kiss 100 that I used to host on a weekly basis. Mm. And I, I blew up as part of the scene. And that's where I got my chance from being in a niche. Yeah. Um, so that allowed me to travel the world uh, for a few years, DJing, making records, etc. But like with anything in the music industry, it has to come to an end. So by I got around to 2006, 2007, 2008, I was transitioning from being a, like a record producer running a label into uh, an audio engineer, a mastering uh, engineer. So I used to master digital recordings as well. And I used to teach a lot of the colleges. Um, but I wanted to look for my next move and I met someone from Hatton Garden, the gold district here in the UK. He came on one of the courses and uh, he, he approached me about setting up a online music um, project of some kind, like a community or whatever. And back then I was like, what the F do I know about the internet? And he went, don't you worry, we will learn. And that's what we did. So we ended up setting up um, Rhythmix in about 2008. So we spent about 13 months in, in production. You know all the things that you should never do, but you do all of them. So my baptism on fire was going from the music industry, going on to the internet, absolutely clueless. You know, I could use email and, and we, we basically had MySpace and, and Bebo and social profiles before really like, Facebook really took off back then, sure. but absolutely clueless. And so we went on this big rampage, building this all, all for everyone, trying to build something and then no one came and then screwed up all the SEO. It was an absolute disaster, but it was the best learning thing in the world. So that was really my big transition. I, I got 10 years worth of understanding how online works in the 24 month period. So yeah, that's uh, so often we learn uh, the the most when we you know when we embark on a mission that uh, we've never done before, which is what you it sounds like you and your partner did there. And then yeah. when it doesn't go well, man, oh man, the learning comes at at speeds that are uh, really ridiculous. So so yeah. that that experience, um, what what did you do from there? How did you parlay that experience into something? So, well, basically what happened from there, it was, it was a rough couple of years. So from 2008 to, say, 2010, 
you know, we had to lay off members of the team. We're trying to di change direction. We spent too long launching. We didn't get our economic model right. Everything kind of went wrong. And it was one of those things, you know, where if I were two years ahead of the curve and had some online experience, I may have salvaged it, right? But because I was absolutely clueless and never, ever done it before, it's like me trying to be a professional basketball player and then walking out onto the court, you know, never played basketball in my life. And then you had to learn for a baptism of fire. But you're never going to recover to be any good. You're always going to be a disappointment or it's going to go wrong because you simply had none of the foundations, yeah? And that's what we didn't have. So, but what he was looking at on reflection is I learned not how to build businesses from that. And the biggest takeaways from those experiences is like, I've launched a number of businesses, but now instead of building a company, I run, I run traffic to a landing page. I'll validate it just from a landing page, the model. Before logos and sitting in the boardroom and talking about you know branding and all that kind of stuff, I do validation. Can I get the traffic? Who are the type of traffic? What kind of revenue can I generate? How big's the market? What is my routes to market? Simple as that. And I can find that out in a three-day period. So I, I, I would now build every business that way where it starts off low, and I'll validate the market first before doing everything. And that has been my biggest lesson from that. Well, I tell you, the, the power of the internet cannot be underestimated when it comes to this. Because you're, you're quite right. Uh, in the old days, and even you know, back in that 2008, 9, 10 time frame, and, and certainly before, often it was a common thing to go, all right, well, let's, let's go raise some money. Let's put a team together. Let's, you know, we, we think this is a good idea, and we ran a focus group, or we didn't. It doesn't matter. Uh, and we build this entire company around the you know idea of if we build it, will they come? Today, you could just build it and see if they come or not, and you know yeah. throw ads at it and see if your ratios are right. What what a great lesson and what a, a, a good silver lining to take away from that. Now you don't bother building a business that hasn't been validated. No, that's, that's it. Brilliant. I just I, I validate first before doing anything before I consider like raising money. And the thing as well is that you learn. Whether you want, you know, I went from there to a ticketing company and they raised money there. I was the head of digital. I wasn't happy the way the business was run. So I left that after they raised the money because I didn't want to, to, to be involved in like how the way the business was working. But you learn all these things. You think you're going through these periods and you're going, why is it this happening? You know, and it's not heading on the right direction. But they give you, they're a catalog of life experiences that you know that you can move forward and they will never happen together, uh, yeah. like happen again, because they're burned in your memory. It won't, it won't happen. So like nowadays, I won't go and raise outside capital. I can get money like that if I want it. But it, it, at what cost does it come at? So I like to put, I've got my partners and I like to put my own money up and put my money where my mouth is. And if I need a load of money, I can go and get it, but I'm not interested in that. Does that make sense? I like the control of my own destiny. Does that make sense? So yeah, it totally does. This is a, this is a big uh, and important lesson for everybody to take note of. <clears throat> Excuse me. The, the reality when, when, when everybody wants to chart their course, at least in my opinion, and I think a, a very good takeaway from Danny's lesson there, is if, if you know what you want, you can decide how you're going to engineer it. Now, some guys who say, hey, I want to build an empire – they need to go build uh, you know, outside money. They need to have this and that. But Danny's evaluated for himself what's important, what his priorities are, what's 
uh, going to make him uh, successful and feel fulfilled, feel fulfilled. Uh, yeah. And and that doesn't require the empire building. That just requires building in a in a a way that is proper and and useful to you. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. It's uh, it really is an important lesson. You know, too often uh, people get confused when they see, well, this guy's doing that and that other guy's doing this. And this is one of the points of Awesomers to just share. There's different ways of uh, of getting the job done and creating a life that's worth living. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, Danny, tell me, uh, in 2008, I, I recall you mentioning that, you know, you had uh, some lightning bolts hit you that year. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, well, beyond 2008. So the good news is that obviously we, we set this business up. So I transitioned for the music industry to go online, but it was an online music marketplace, if you like. Uh, which grew into like a ticketing company, et cetera. But by about 2010, we'd burnt through half a million. Um, even though we we run costs quite low, but we still had a team. So we shut the, t- uh, the business down in 31st of August 2010, I remember. And then I helped write the CVs and use my black book to get all the other guys employed. But then you're at an end of a cycle there, right? So you're exhausted, you've, you've kept the doors open, there was closure was always intimate, you know, coming, you're laying off members of the team along the way, which I have regrets about because you should do it all at one, one chunk instead of like that slow hand clap towards the end. Does that make sense? Sure. So there are another set of lessons. But what happens, it went from a business life to my, my personal life, it affected as well. So Come the November, I lost my son, Riley. He passed away. And then the following July, I lost my daughter, Soraya. And then at the Christmas, uh, we nearly went personally bankrupt because of uh, the debts and everything that we had accumulated. And so it almost gave me that complete re- reset. So you get hit by all directions. So you've got your family life, which is devastating. Like most people will never know what it's like to lose one child, let alone two in a short period of time. And then with the financial burden as well, you have to kind of almost your life hits a reset button, if that makes sense. So the way I see it now is that we've alluded to about stress and stuff. Like when you've lost children, that is uncomparable to anything else. Probably explains why I don't get stressed in business. Because yeah. what is the worst can happen? Because what's happened is nearly everything that most people will dread has happened. And so that gives you a completely different outlook on business, on levels of risk. And I mean, smart risk, you know, but where you see a lot of people getting really stressed and bogged down and everything. And for me, it's water off a duck's back. If I've got legal stuff to deal with, it's water off a duck's back. If I've got a shipment like on the Hanjin from a couple of years ago, sending all my stuff to the US that went down, you know, with all my Christmas stock on it. The way I look at things like that, I go, I've had to go to the funeral to my children. And then that puts me back into perspective on the business side. And that puts me back on the straight path. And I think that land, they're like landmarks in your life, good or bad. And when I had the accident, when I was 15 and three months, were the two biggest changes in my life. Boy, the, the amount of adversity that you faced and, and still retain that resilience, it really is extraordinary. You know, the, that's, that's an, a really important lesson for the awesomers out there listening is that, you know, let's keep things in perspective. Let's understand that, uh, you know, there's important things in life and 
you know, even when our, our you know, whatever the, the uh, issue of the day is, uh, it's, it pales by comparison to things that have already been overcome by somebody as awesome as Danny. Uh, thank you for sharing that, Danny. It's, uh, you know, we're, we're sorry for your loss, but man, oh man, that uh, is, is the right attitude to come out of it with. It is, uh, you know, and so, you know, it sounds to me, as you talked about this reset button, after all of that uh, tragedy and adversity, that you hit some point where you said, no, I'm going to do something again. And yeah. how did that switch get, you know, finally from the full reset position into something that had traction? Well, what happened from there is that it, that was around, after everything, what, what happened, that was to the end of 2012. And then I was at the head of digital company that I, where I said I wasn't happy. I didn't like the way it was run and I didn't want, they, I don't know how to put it into decent words. You know, when you're not happy in some way, like culturally, you don't like the culture and stuff like that. It doesn't suit and fit who you are. And I'm like, I can't come into this building every day and feel drained the way I feel because I don't enjoy it. So I spoke to a very close friend who's my business partner today across all of our businesses. He put some money in, into the business, or he did in the very beginning. Just put up the money and said, get on with it. And, you know, we split 50-50. That's just the way it works. And then off of that, I've got uh, sub-partners. But he said to me, look, if you're unhappy, let's um, come over here, do some work with me. So I went and worked on with him on some of these businesses, recovering some debt, and and, and taught me a lot about infrastructure there on age debt and stuff like that. And uh, we then looked at various different business models. It goes back to the idea of launching. Um, so we launched about three or four different businesses. So we would do a wraparound business for someone else. So we'd put them, um, we'd put these, like we'd, we'd find these like skill sets. And then what we'd do is we would manage the whole business and then they would go out and do the work. And then we'd look to grow a team around that, if that makes sense. So we went through four or five of those. And one of them in the construction side is, is still running today as a, a partner of mine. And that's what going back to 2000. Yeah, so it's been over five years now. So that's been successful for us. That's been great. So off the back of that, uh, we got to 2015. And I thought, I want to reverse engineer marketplace because I've worked in commerce. I've got a good background in understanding the PPC and stuff. I found Amazon. And that's where it really took off for us is that discovering Amazon, discovering FBA, and uh, yeah, everything's just grown from there. And then we built seller sessions and then we've got data brew, the agency, and we're still growing and trying to spread out with what we're doing today. And basically um, focus on a diverse portfolio of businesses to avoid risk. Cause you've got a lot of seven figure, say Amazon sellers out there who are struggling to pay rent. They don't have that diversification and they've got that risk if their account goes down and stuff. So by, for us, we've got three different business models. We've got a product model. We've got a, um, we've got a um, service, service-based business. And then we've got a reoccurring revenue agency business. So even though they're both service business, one's technology driven, one's non-technology driven. So very old school. So in this industry, like in the construction side, people are still using fax machines and stuff like that. But we've modernized what we do, and that's what works for us. Does that, does that make sense? Oh, so it we totally does, yeah. A, mod, a modern take on that. So, you know, yeah. one, of the, one of the questions uh, it raises is, you know, how does a company let its culture get to the point where people feel drained to come in? This is a common problem uh, that people face is, you know, when they have a traditional kind of nine-to-five job, when it's soul-sucking, 
people leave, uh, you know, and, and often they don't leave the, the job itself. The, the work is not the difficult part. It's the boss they work for or it's the culture in that organization. Uh, yeah. Is that what you found in, in your case? I know you said the culture was yeah. bad. How, was the, the boss an issue as well? Yeah, I mean, it was, yeah. So I, I, I don't like to speak bad of people and stuff like that. Yeah, I just think you, what I signed, what I signed up for and what I uncovered was not the same things. If that's all, that's how I'd like to leave it. And sure. I was just like, this is not who I am and what I want to be part of. So I thought, right, the best thing I could do is take myself out of the situation. But you've got to remember at that time, I'd nearly, um, nearly went, personally bankrupt could have lost the home and everything so you're in in between so you're in a job that you 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 can't you love the work but you're stuck with the culture and you're also in a position where you know you need them finances and it wasn't it was very draining you know that that was a difficult part of my life because I felt I was backed into a corner and it wasn't until my partner said to me look let's do this you're obviously not happy there I know that you can build stuff Let's put some money in over here and we'll get rolling with that. And that was one of my, uh, another turning point for me. That was the third, third stand, if you like. Sure. Uh, and it was, if it wasn't for, for Steve, I probably wouldn't be here today where I am still in that growth mode for our businesses and stuff, you know? Well, it's, it really is that, that uh, true partnership, though, that uh, you, know, you guys were able to put your heads together and get something going. And once you yeah. get that traction, get that flywheel turning, as they say, uh, then uh, good things happen. So very, very instructive. Uh, so l- let me ask you this. Uh, actually, we're going to take another quick break and uh, talk to our sponsors, let them uh, uh, share their uh, important messages. Uh, but when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, Danny's best day, and then we're going to talk about uh, some of his uh, maybe tips and tricks of how uh, awesomers can conduct their business. So we'll be right back. Empower. The name says it all. Connecting e-commerce entrepreneurs with great people, ideas, systems, and the services needed to stay business dynamic and to grow. Empowery is a network, a cooperative venture of tools and resources to make you better at what you do. Because we love what you do. We are you. Visit Empowery.com to learn more. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. Okay, here we are. We're back again uh, talking to Danny McMillan and... uh, Really appreciate your time so far, Danny. It's been uh, extraordinarily valuable to me. I know the Oscars out there agree. Thank you again. Thank you. So, uh, you know, you've talked about some of those defining moments, some of those uh, turning points in your life, which are extraordinary in every way. Was was there a, a best day in your professional career? Uh, just some day, it could have been any point in, in your time where you just looked up and, and said, you know what? I, I really, I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad I'm doing what I'm doing. Any of those moments or moments uh, stand out in your mind? There's a few. I mean, going back to the music, hearing my, like, I suppose putting out my first record is one thing. The second thing is going into a club and hearing one of your favourite DJs play your record. Hearing my, my first record on Radio 1, another defining moment. Um, that's on the music side. And there was even things like I end up working with some of your heroes, like um, I'm old now, but, you know, we're talking about I worked with people that were part of New Order and and uh, Arthur Baker, who, who worked on Planet Rock with African Bambata and back then and, and Stephen Malander from Cabaret Volatea. 
people may not know these people, but these were really influential electronic artists that you'd look up to, you know? So there's key points there. But in terms of, if we fast forward professionally now, I would say one of the greatest days was March 30th, 2015. And that's when I discovered Amazon FBA. Because what happened is I wanted to find the next move, yeah? And I looked at, do I want to build a um, software company because of the background I had? Is it a commerce store? So looking around and I thought, do you know, I never reverse engineered marketplaces. So I thought, let's have a look because there's customers there. I know PPC, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, right, let's have a look at eBay. So I got a load of junk around the house, took pictures in the garden as you do on shabby mobile phones, et cetera, in daylight. And then I walked to the end of my road to the post office. Then I realized, because I work from home, that the post office had gone two years ago. And I don't actually drive. My wife drives, but I don't drive. Never learned to drive uh, wow. because of D DJing and, not, you know, I'd either have to get trains and commute into London or whatever. It made no sense for me to drive. So I thought, well, that's that out the window. I can't do eBay. So I come back with my tail between my legs and my parcels. But when I looked on the eBay forum, they mentioned Amazon FBA. And I thought, what does FBA stand for? And then when I got to the homepage of FBA, we store your products, we do this. I went like, no postman. But this makes sense. And then it's like they've just introduced their PPC, like sponsored ad system. And I think that looks like Fisher Price. This is really easy. I ordered some products and I was like, I could really do this. And, and it got to that point where it was like, this is like making records, making a product, yeah? And yeah. then you're promoting to your marketplace, which is your audience, your fan base. And then when you've done the public speaking, it's like, I'm going on tour, DJing. But instead, I'm performing by going. And there's all these parallels. So that's why I love what I do so much now, because it's like revisiting the music industry. Because in the 90s, I would export records. It was sold on vinyl. They were physical products. What we do on Amazon are physical products as well. So instead of me sitting in the lab in the studio recording, I'm actually sitting in front of a computer, like you've got 3D designers and you're putting up different ideas and you're working out that product's going to work and how you can improve on it and brand design and marketing strategies and stuff like that. And it, that it is a really extraordinary point to make that uh, for those Oscars out there who may not be familiar with FBA, the fulfillment by Amazon model is uh, basically where you're able to ship product into Amazon. They handle all the storage and shipping for you. Uh, you, you set up your account and all you do is essentially design or source a product. Uh, you get that product into Amazon. And if you do it right, you do the things that Danny talked about with product design, 3D uh, designers, packaging design, and you really make it something that is a true brand. That's the only way to make equity. Uh, but if you get it right, Amazon could handle a lot of that heavy lifting for you. And that is a really unique thing compared to, you know, 20 years ago when I started in e-commerce, those types of services didn't exist. Uh, eBay was the only game in town at, at that stage in terms of marketplaces. Uh, Amazon had just come out with something called Z shops um, in late, maybe 99 or early 2000, but it was a disaster to, to start with. Uh, so it's really inspiring to see you, take the parallels from the music business and put them into the physical products business, which is essentially, they are the same thing. You're creating a product, you're marketing to an audience, and then you're fulfilling on that uh, order when it comes in and ideally engaging the, the customers long-term. 
Yeah, it's like you have a hit record and you have a hit product. You have a failed product and your record flops. The vinyl doesn't sell. I had a few of those as well. You know, but that's all part of the learning process. We've all had the flops. Believe me, I could uh, I could tell you stories. Uh, how many yeah. how many millions I've wasted over the years on mistakes and flops. Uh, so I love that. That's an excellent best day. Uh, That's really, really cool. So as we start to wrap up, uh, Danny, tell me this. Is there any kind of tool, uh, whether it's an app on your phone or a Shopify plugin or any of that kind of stuff, uh, WordPress or, you know, anything uh, that, that really is something that, that is a, a favorite tool that helps you business day to day, helps your business day to day? I think that's a, that's a hard one because of the different businesses we come across the board. If I was going to be use a tool that can go across the board it's not a a production tool but it's a tool that i've driven to build businesses off i would say any ppc platform that i use from adwords to facebook to to sponsored ads because they're always been a main vehicle for me for the instant visibility by using paid search and i think that's the most powerful tools i've used for any business because if there's no paid search on a platform or a market to me, it's not a business I can build because I've built all of my businesses from scratch with that in mind. As long as there's a paid search version, I know that I could probably build a business off it. Jim. Well, I tell you, that is, again, such sage wisdom. So Danny earlier talked about the idea of validating and being yeah. able to validate in such short periods of time, including as, as few as three days. Uh, that's an amazing uh, concept and pay-per-click marketing is one of the, the strategies that gets you there, right? You can yeah. you can put up your product and see if anybody cares. It's kind of a fun little uh, hack or cheat to be able to go, does anybody really care about what I'm about to, to sell or offer? And you get yeah. to, to you know, hit or flop really fast uh, when you put yeah. data behind it. It's an amazing tool. Good, good suggestion. Thank you, Danny. Um, so uh, tell us a little bit more about uh, Seller Sessions and, and also your, your agency uh, piece. I, I know the Seller Sessions, one of the things that I love about it is that you give so willingly and so generously of your time to connect folks uh, selling on the Amazon Marketplace with, with lots of resources. Uh, how's that going and, and where do you see the future of that thing? So with, with Seller Sessions, it, the goal was always, you know, like you, your network is your net worth, I think is the term people use. and it's like takes it back to, you know, like the scrappy thing It's like the, when I came into the game a few years ago in the U S there's a lot of masterminds and things like that. But in the UK, there was nothing. We had to build our own infrastructure here. There was nothing going on. Like all the monthly events that's going ahead. I know a lot of the people over here and there was nothing to begin with really, but we all together worked to build uh, an infrastructure. Um, so I lost my train of thought. We need to edit. There. No, you're, you're, you're right on point, which is uh, you, because you had to build it in the UK, seller sessions came to be in existence. Yeah, sorry, apology. Yeah. So with the seller sessions, for me, the goal was if you like, I believe that in pay it forward, it's like the more you give, the more it comes back. I don't sit there with a spreadsheet and work out what I've given and who gets back. But I, on the main, it's like you're going to have people that will take the piss and then you just don't deal with them anymore. They take too much. I just believe the more you give, the more you get back. And it was my way of, by being out there on a, on a regular basis, meeting with great people, I build an infrastructure of really good people that helps me grow my business. I also become the conduit to help others build their business. And with those people that like message me back, oh, I love seller sessions, it's high level stuff, blah, blah, blah. Then they share tips with me, which helps me grow my business. And therefore, 
it goes forth and goes on. And what's happened from that, instead of me, you know, I have not maybe back then been in a position to go to paid masterminds, I achieved the similar results by giving back and doing seller sessions. And I got a chance to meet great people who would share information with me either privately or on the show. Um, and that's what it's about, really. It's about putting content uh, front and center and meeting new pe people and networking. Well, again, it reminds me of one of my favorite uh, quotes from the great Zig Ziglar. Uh, for those who don't know him, he was a great motivational sales speaker uh, back in the, you know, the last 20, 30 years. Uh, and one of the things he used to say, and I'm paraphrasing here, but you can have everything you want in your life if you help enough other people get what they want in their life. Exactly. And Danny lives up to that every single week. Uh, you put out three shows a week with Seller Sessions, is that right? That's correct, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, a great productivity, a great show. I hope uh, everybody uh, jumps over there and uh, subscribes. Uh, tell us uh, quickly about your, your Facebook agency or the types of customer, not Facebook agency, but your, uh, your Amazon. Amazon agency. How, what kind of customers do you look for there? So mainly the what we wanted to do is build an agency whereby large companies with large lots of SKU sets were able to go to an agency where it's affordable, where their sales go up, but our price doesn't. So what I mean by that is that normally when you work with an agency, they want a percentage of revenue. They want a percentage of your profit or worse than that. They want a percentage maybe of your ad spend. So with those three key metrics, it's very easy to trick those metrics to get more out of people. Like you want to earn more money, encourage them to spend more on advertising. But that isn't necessarily the way uh, people want to work. And if you've got thousands of SKUs, it's very hard for uh, uh, it all to be done manually. So we've got sophisticated algorithms. So it's part managed and 80% is automated. So we're able to take people on that maybe have a thousand SKUs and they're adding a hundred SKUs a year, but their price isn't starting to shoot up. Because normally with a model like that, there's an increase. So the idea is, is that you can grow your business by adding more SKUs. We will set up the campaigns, but you're always going to pay a fixed price. Amazing. So, yeah, that is a very attractive model. Uh, having been a, a large advertiser and used agencies for years myself of every size, uh, you know, managing, you know, you know, hundreds of thousands, even millions of dollars a month in ad spend, uh, the idea of having some sort of fixed cost uh, with a, a clear service level <laughs> is very attractive to uh, someone like that. Uh, so that's very interesting. So, uh, Danny, tell us uh, where we can find you uh, online or your, your various businesses, uh, if you will. Yeah, you can, if you want to check out the podcast, go to sellersessions.com. If you want to check out the agency, go to sellersessions.com forward slash agency. Uh, if you need to get in contact with me, you've got any questions uh, about Amazon, it's danny at sellersessions.com. And if you want to reach me at the agency, it's danny at databrill.com. Data group? Data brill, B -R -I. Data brill. Okay, data brill. Yeah, databrill.com. Uh, and uh, just for everybody's benefit and Danny's as well, uh, these types of links will be shown in the show notes. Uh, just as always, we'll have all the, the various little links for you to make sure that we get them down and easy for you. Uh, Danny, uh, it's been a, a tremendous pleasure to have you here today. Thank you again for your time. And as we uh, close up, I just wonder if you have any words of wisdom for awesomers out there. Maybe uh, they're struggling. Maybe they're thinking about starting a business. Just any words of wisdom that uh, have helped you or, or you think that could help them? I think you, you need to block everyone out, the signals out. If you're passionate about doing something, be smart about what you're trying to achieve. Validate it first. Don't worry about building logos, et cetera. Just validate your business. 
But ultimately, the only person you need to worry about is in business in the sense that you're going to have your critics is you. And so the only thing that you can do is the, the buck stops with you and you need to invest in you. So if you believe something wholeheartedly, you have to put up your own money and you have to back yourself. And, and that comes through confidence and expect to fail. But it's how you come back, which is very much important. Boy, uh, wise words spoken there, everybody. I hope you're listening and taking uh, clear instruction from those uh, very wise words. So thank you again, Danny McMillan. We will be back uh, right after this. Parsimony is an ERP e-commerce platform that uses a master database as a single source of truth for all of your most critical business systems and decisions. Information is just information. System integrated information is power. Let the system work for you. Visit parsimony.com to scale your business now. What a great episode with Danny. Isn't he great? Uh, he's definitely one of the awesomers that I enjoy. And uh, his, his openness and willingness to share the, the triumphs and the tragedies and all the things that have gone on in his life to help him get on the road that he's on today, which is no doubt in the awesomer realm, uh, is something that very uh, much inspires me. And I hope it inspires you as well. Don't forget to share this with a friend and uh, why not take a moment and leave us a review uh, about this podcast and let us know how we're doing. We appreciate you. Well, we've done it again, everybody. We have another episode of the Awesomers podcast ready for the world. Thank you for joining us and we hope that you've enjoyed our program today. Now's a good time to take a moment to subscribe, like, and share this podcast. Heck, you could even leave a, a review if you wanted. Awesomers around you will appreciate your help. It's only with your participation and sharing that we'll be able to achieve our goals. Our success is literally in your hands. Thank you again for joining us. We are at your service. Find out more about me, Steve Simonson, our guests, team, and all the other Osmers involved at awesomers.com. Thank you again. Awesomers.com. Uh, about this podcast and let us know how we're doing. We appreciate you.